Welcome to Spine and Body Podcast. This podcast's stated goals are to change how the world treats musculoskeletal pain, to create experts in the treatment of neck, back, and shoulder pain, and to advance the world's understanding of this pain, to inspire researchers, thinkers, and innovators, to empower patients and embolden caretakers. Follow us on this journey and let's learn and grow together. This podcast is brought to you by the Body Guitar Clinic because your body is a finely tuned instrument. Like all finely tuned instruments, it must be properly cared for in order to play the beautiful music it was intended to play. Care for your body and use it correctly, and it will play music that is unique to you, your life song. This is Sean Wheeler, MD, and let's get your body in tune. Welcome back to another episode of Spine and Body Podcast. Today begins a journey, uh, a journey of curiosity. It's a, a quest that I have to understand more and more parts of, of pain management. I don't do uh, manipulation, but an awful lot of patients and an awful lot of people around the country are, are helped by manipulation. And I want to understand this. I could just push back and say, I don't understand it. Therefore, uh, it's, it's not helpful. Or I could, I could embrace the generations of people that have been helped and try to understand. And I think we're all better the more we understand how people are helped and, and when, to, when to use different modalities to help people. And I think the, the more we do that, the more helpful we are uh, to people who hurt or for people who, are, who hurt, the more they understand different things that could or could not help them. Uh, the demystification uh, is a is a big part of what I want to accomplish, and and then also you know becoming a an expert at a lot of different things is, or at least the understanding of a lot of different things can do nothing but help my patients more, and and I hope the same is for you know people who are listening. So today is an interview with Dr. Daniel uh, Clearfield, and you'll hear in the interview why he's. Uh, uniquely and supremely qualified to discuss this topic. And um, he, he warns me at the very beginning that he's a little tangential. So um, just, just realize that um, we, we went through the discussion, and in the end, it got a lot of what I wanted to accomplish accomplished. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think that it's a beginning, and uh, I, don't want, I don't want a ton of, of conversations about um, manipulation, but what I do want is I want to kind to kind of open the discussion. So enjoy and uh, leave us some comments. Thank you. Welcome back to another episode of Spine and Body Podcast. I'm I'm excited about today's episode. Uh, I I've been trying to find uh, episodes that I like, and I also been trying to find guests that that fit with the message that that I want to advance and. And each of these messages are trying to trying to push forward pain management as a practice, and and really expand the minds of the people that are listening, both patients and and practitioners. And the things that I look for is I look for people who are curious, and then also people that seem to have a, a, a good combination of both hubris, which is I'm the only one that can figure it out, and a humility where they're constantly asking questions. And our and our guest today is. Dr. Daniel Clearfield, and we also are on this 
uh, this listserv that I've talked about before. And one of the things that I really like is, is that he's the guy that has all of the hard, he has the most complicated cases I've ever seen. And he puts them forward where he'll say, okay, I'm going to put this out to the group. And they're really complicated. And the, the reason why I like that is because most people, they've got a hammer and everything looks like a nail. And when things come into them, they constantly are thinking to themselves, okay, this is, this, is, this is just another variation of what I always see. And some people are curious enough to say, no, this isn't, this isn't normal. And I'm willing to ask other people what they think. And in the end, they end up smarter because of it and better physicians because of it. And, and that's one of the things that I admire. So uh, I was anxious to get him on, actually. And then the other part of this is, is that he is an osteopathic doctor of osteopathy, right? Is that how I'd say it? Yeah, I mean, you know, doctor of osteopathic medicine. Right. Sure. And that's the thing is, is that I'm, I'm interested. I'm, as a person who does not practice that, I'm, I'm very interested in that. I have a lot of uh, chiropractors that send me patients, and I'm not very good at sending them back. But it's mostly because I don't quite understand it, and I want to. And and there's extraordinary number of patients that rely on their you know manipulation, uh, manipulative care. I guess I don't really know how to say that either. But uh, they rely on that for for daily or weekly or monthly um, improvement in their pain and. They can't be wrong, right? They can't all be wrong. It's got to be one of those deals where there's something that that I and other people are missing, um, and I and I'm anxious. I'm anxious to figure that out. So, Dr. Clearfield, I'm happy you're here, uh, and and I want to give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself and tell us what you're about. Yeah, happy to be here, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And I think uh, as uh, Navid was saying uh, on uh, his podcast, just um, just dating back to our discussions on our listserv that we've had over the years and I, um, hearing some of the comments that you've had when I was kind of very uh, fresh out of my training uh, and I've been in practice for just over 10 years now. Um, I just remember thinking, you know, we have these listservs that are these just extended kind of resources, these hive minds that we can tap into. And I just remember seeing some of the posts that you had and I was like, man, this guy really thinks like a DO and I'll kind of elaborate on how we kind of talk about that. But I was like, uh, and thinking about in ways that I still need to kind of open my mind up to as well. And so um, it's just been very cool to kind of be a part of this listserv for years. And it took me a while before I got the courage up to actually contribute rather than just take uh, that information and knowledge. And uh, um, it's been a, a point of pride that I've been able to be a resource on this as well. And I, um, I, I definitely feel that I, I've tried to really kind of uh, diversify my training so that I can offer so many different kind of things to my patients. And uh, again, I, I, I'm going to go off on tangents all the time. So sure. whenever you need me to kind of reroute, but I'm um, just to introduce myself. I, um, I'm a, um, uh, Daniel Clearfield. I, um, my degrees in I, um, I, I'm a DO, so doctor of osteopathic medicine. Um, I also have a master's in science, uh, master's of science in clinical research and education in osteopathic manipulative medicine. And um, I, I'm a fellow of the American Aca Osteopathic Academy of Sports Medicine. I, I did my medical school over at um, the University of North Texas Health Science Center, Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine over in Fort Worth. And while I was there, there was the opportunity to complete a predoctoral fellowship. So before we complete, got our doctorate degree, we were able to uh, um, sit for that uh, or uh, do that uh, predoctoral fellowship. And so um, I took pretty much an extended amount of time. So um, I started with the two class of 2006 
and I ended up graduating with the class of 2007. My third year of medical school was spread out over a two-year span where I was four months in my fellowship, four months on rotations, and so it's kind of a discontinuous opportunity to uh, expand my knowledge base of osteopathic manipulative medicine and osteopathic principles and practice. And after that, I um, graduated. I did my residency in uh, family medicine and osteopathic manipulative medicine uh, up in uh, um, Columbus, Ohio. And then after that, I did a fellowship in uh, primary care sports medicine, which was an osteopathic program as well um, over in uh, Summit, New Jersey. And then I moved back down to Texas after that, and I was uh, practicing over at the um, UNT Health Science Center, Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine, so my alma mater there. Um, I was over there for just under six years, uh, and while I was there, I was uh, both part of the orthopedic surgery department, uh, where I was clinical, and part of the uh, John Peter Smith uh, sports med, or not sports medicine, but the uh, orthopedic uh, surgical uh, residency, and I also was uh, teaching in the osteopathic manipulative medicine department. And I additionally started a uh, um, UNT uh, Health Science Center uh, primary care sports medicine fellowship while I was over there. And we had that going for a few years, uh, and then everything kind of changed, and I ended up leaving and uh, went into private practice uh, for uh, just under three years. Some of the things that you were talking about as far as some of the issues that you're seeing with medicine, I'm trying to be one of those problem solvers within medicine myself. Um, I kind of just realized you know, the, the model of medicine that I was practicing in was not allowing me to dictate the care of my patients. And so I was very frustrated with that. I foresaw burnout. And I had been kind of looking into this model of just kind of going outside of insurance, kind of, you know, it's not necessarily a new model. I say it's the old model of medicine where it was pretty much just the doctor and the patient sitting across from them again. And, um, I, you know, you just kind of say, hey, this is how much my services cost. I'm not trying to rip you off. This is how much, you know, my education and training is worth to be able to kind of see me. And uh, and so pretty much that's where I started my practice, Motions Medicine, Sports Medicine. And so I started that in February of 2019 out of network model. Uh, but uh, patients, I, I still am very good with billing and coding. I still give patients all the information. So I say, you can use your insurance. I'm just not using your insurance. And so I've been doing that. And my practice uh, is, uh, you know, primary care sports medicine and non-operative orthopedics. Um, osteopathic manipulative medicine, as we'll be discussing today, is uh, by far the number one procedure that I perform in my practice. Um, I do regenerative medicine as well. Um, I do concussion management. And so I, um, that's kind of the, uh, the scope of my practice. Um, and I, uh, there's, uh, you know, sometimes there's uh, sports medicine physicians that are a little bit narrowly focused. And I like to be very broad focused with my practice. And so I really like the challenges. Um, I really enjoy the, the cognitive challenges and the zebras that kind of come in. And so as you were kind of discussing some of these cases that I, I bring in, um, and I joke to my medical students that, you know, welcome to zebra clinic because, uh, um, and for those that don't know, you know, we talk about in medicine, you know, most of the time when you hear hooves coming, think horses, not zebras, because it's going to be those most common things. And granted, the horses do come into my clinic for the most common kind of things. But you have to be aware of what is the normal, and then you have to be aware of when something doesn't look normal, and that's where you have to kind of say, is this a zebra? And then if it is a zebra, what can we do to kind of properly evaluate it? And uh, um, so, again, a big I see a lot of the zebras within my practice. And actually, OMM, OMT, um, uh, those are big parts of uh, um, my treatment plan very often. Um, and uh, using the osteopathic principles in practice, and I'll happy to kind of elaborate on those. 
Uh, that's where I can always kind of find, you know, even if I can't figure out exactly what's going on, which drives me nuts because I love being able to be a, an excellent diagnostician and saying this is exactly what's going on. But sometimes we kind of, uh, you know, focus so much in medicine about trying to kind of figure out what is it that's going on that we just kind of forget about, hey, we actually just need to be able to help this person. And so I say very often, um, hey, we've ruled out the big bad guys. This isn't cancer. This isn't an infection. This isn't anything life or limb threatening. So maybe we should stop, you know, going down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out what's going on with you and just starting to look at finding health within your body and what can we do to kind of get you better. And that's a big part of what I try to do with every single patient encounter is um, look at them with those osteopathic principles, try to figure out how I can best treat them, how I can get them back towards health. How do you think that the the osteopathic principles fit into that because, you know, um, I, I do the same thing where, where I'm seeing a patient and I'm trying to figure out what, why they're moving wrong or, or, you know, not only where they're hurt, but why they're moving wrong, either because of that hurt or, or what's caused it, you know, did, did the wrong movement cause a pain or is the wrong movement after the pain? How is it that, you know, manipulation fits into that? How, do, you know, as somebody who doesn't do it, in me, it, it, it doesn't look, I don't see a, I don't see a pocket that I'm missing. Explain to me how that would, how that would fill a pocket for somebody who doesn't do it. Yeah. And you know what, what you're doing there when you're, when you're looking for the why, the what, explain how, not just treat the, you know, the problem that tends to be those using those osteopathic principles. And then again, I'll kind of explain how OMM is a part of that. Um, um, just specifically the four principles of osteopathic medicine is the person, uh, the body, it's a unit of uh, body, mind, and spirit. Uh, um, the body is capable of self-regulation, self-healing, and health maintenance. Structure and function are reciprocally interrelated. And then rational treatment upon the patient is uh, using these, you know, preceding kind of principles. And so the one thing I teach when I'm, uh, um, you know, teaching this to uh, whether it be uh, a DO or an MD student or resident or other physician or physical therapist or PA I said, these principles aren't uniquely osteopathic. Um, you know, anybody can kind of pick these up and say, this is how I want to be able to kind of treat my patient. I just said that these are principles that are reinforced to us, notably within the first two years of osteopathic medical education, going through medical school, where um, these kind of principles are trying to be just kind of intimately kind of uh, um, trained within our curriculum so that this is, it kind of helps mold our mindset as far as how to kind of look at the patient how to try to figure out what's going on. And in sports medicine, um, I always say that, you know, that second principle as far as the body is capable of self-regulation, self-healing, health maintenance, these are, you know, key kind of tools that I think many of us have really kind of embraced. And notably, probably in the last 10 years, as uh, things like regenerative medicine have kind of come about where we've kind of realized, you know what, maybe we shouldn't be doing steroids. Maybe we shouldn't be throwing anti-inflammatories at the patient. Maybe what is the body naturally able to do and what are we kind of blocking? Are we kind of covering up some of the symptoms as opposed to trying to figure out what's kind of going on with them? So that's how I use those osteopathic principles um, uh, as far as osteopathic manipulation. And so, um, you know, just the, the kind of a subset of within, within that medicine uh, is osteopathic manipulative medicine is just kind of the uh, um, overall description of um, just using the osteopathic principles within uh, just kind of a medical practice. And then osteopathic manipulative treatment is the actual treatment of using the hands-on uh, body uh, uh, treatment to be able to help guide the body back towards where it needs to kind of go. And that's one thing I tell my patients all the time and my students. It's like, we're not fixing the patient. 
what we're doing is we're pointing them in the direction of health. And I always like to say that, you know, it's like we all have a path of wellness that we need to kind of walk on. And uh, sometimes people get deviated off of that path. And so uh, we need to kind of redirect them onto that. And so whether that be a fascial strain pattern, whether that be a dysfunction where, you know, there's like a slight subluxation, a slight rotation of a vertebra um, or uh, another kind of bone and joni, uh, bony joint kind of articulation. Um, we're just kind of showing the body, hey, this is the way that you need to kind of go to be able to heal yourself so that you're able to function the right way. And so, uh, again, sometimes it's redirecting back onto that path of wellness. Sometimes it's removing an obstruction that's kind of uh, just in the way of that path of wellness. And, you know, again, sometimes that's where we have to have that humility of saying, you know what, this is something that needs to go to surgery. I can't remove that obstruction on my own. Or, you know what, I don't think this needs surgery. I think I can, you know, get you kind of moving down this path. Um, and let's kind of work to and partner together so that we can kind of get over this kind of bump in the road. And I, um, so as far as, uh, you know, manipulation, uh, so we treat what's called somatic dysfunction. That's just our occupathic term of what we're treating. So as far as like pathology, and so let's say, for example, there's a shoulder dislocation. So the dislocation is the pathology, the muscle spasming, the fascial um, kind of uh, um, things that will occur around it as far as any kind of tightness that occurs on the fascia. That's the somatic dysfunction that's occurring around that area of the pathology. And that's where I think that having my background as far as in, um, you know, family medicine, sports medicine, and osteopathic manipulative medicine allows me to really be able to kind of say, what is that pathology that's primarily causing and driving the somatic dysfunction that's surrounding it? And that allows me to be able to treat not just the, comp the pathology, but appropriately and permanently be able to fix that surrounding pathology in most cases, with a hands-on kind of approach. Is that in complement to what you already do? Because in my mind, you know, I wonder, I've always wondered, you know, with, with manipulation, is, is this an acute thing where, uh, you know, most of, most of what we see is pain that's acute and that can be really helped with uh, some, you know, some, some different forms of treatment than what we're doing, ice, heat, you know, or ice and rest and compression and elevation. Is there, is there, is there more that we could do in the acute phase? But then also, is there parts of manipulation that I'm missing that has, you know, long, that, that somebody can use in the, in a chronic uh, type pain situation? I would argue that probably by the time some people kind of present to people who do manipulation, uh, they're usually in the subacute to chronic kind of phase as is. Again, kind of, I, I'm always uh, saying that, you know, going back to that second principle of the body's capable of self-regulation, self-healing, and health maintenance. And so if somebody has an acute injury, uh, most of the time the body's going to be able to find its way back. And especially if they see somebody appropriately in time and making sure that they're kind of doing the right kind of things as far as doing the rest, ice compression, elevation, motion, proper medicine usage, um, allowing their body to kind of be guided back that right direction. Uh, then maybe manipulation doesn't have a, a necessary role in that kind of stance, but it's more of just the, the principles of, of allowing their body to heal itself. Um, there are some uh, osteopathic manipulative treatments that can be used uh, very much in an acute kind of setting. But uh, at the same time, I think that most of the time that we're treating these things, it's when things have been a little bit more chronic. It's uh, when things haven't been able to kind of get better on their own. And so, um, I mean, I can think of just, you know, being on the sideline and a kid kind of tweaks his ankle. And he comes over and can I do manipulation to be able to try to help that out and see if that's able to get them back into the game. Um, and so is there something that I can do? Yes. Is it going to be something that let necessarily, let's say that they freak, uh, they 
sprained their ankle? Is it going to be something that fixes that sprain right there? No. Is it something that might be able to relieve some of the dysfunction that kind of occurs around that sprain, which is causing more of a disability, uh, which is causing more of that pain, instability, proprioceptive imbalance that they're experiencing? And that's what my goals of treatment would be if I'm treating it in kind of that acute setting. Or if in the setting that they develop some swelling, some effusion, any kind of soft tissue swelling, uh, I can use uh, lymphatic-based kind of principles to help remove any kind of restrictions, impairing the body's ability to drain the fluid out of that area, impairing the body's ability to try to get adequate blood flow to that area to allow it to properly get blood flow for healing uh, and also to make sure that we're just kind of uh, getting any kind of uh, metabolic waste products out of that area. And so that's how I can use manipulation in that acute setting. In the chronic setting, um, a lot of it's looking at those fascial patterns, but also trying to see what I can try to fix from a structural standpoint that is kind of holding it there. And so um, uh, one analogy that I like to use is my saran wrap analogy. And so if we think about our body fascia as a saran wrap that's around our entire kind of body in various different layers. And if we think about our body um, like tissue uh, as um, uh, like a big lasagna. And so if we have the saran wrap that's over there and then we kind of put some toothpicks into the lasagna to kind of keep that saran wrap a little bit separated off of there, what we're really feeling for is where are those toothpick snags that's kind of pulling on our tissue and not allowing that fascia to be able to glide the right way so that when you stretch your neck to the left, that you're not feeling that shoulder pain kind of pull in the, in the right or the mid back on the right. And so trying to kind of identify where the toothpicks are, and that's the things that we need to kind of try to work on. So it's important to make sure that we try to fix whatever's kind of going on with the toothpick, but then it's very important to make sure that we're properly smoothing out that fascia because if that saran wrap has been kind of stretched over to the left for months or years, and then we just kind of remove that toothpick, well, it's going to take very little to get that um, fascia to be able to snap right back into that same kind of position, pull that toothpick, or if that's a bony kind of structure, pull that right back out of place again, just because that's where it's normal has been kind of reset. So it's an abnormal normal. And so big things of what I'm trying to accomplish with my manipulation is getting their body back to its proper kind of uh, um, uh, position, but also make sure that we're really kind of working on the myofascia that surrounds it. So David and I had this same discussion with trigger points where I said to him, I said, you know, sometimes I'll do a trigger point and, and all I'm doing is providing a temporary, a temporary relief and trying to get people strong. And he said, yeah, that's true, but there's times when I do a trigger point and it fixes it. Do you find as a sports medicine doctor also that when you do manipulation, sometimes it is that temporary temporary relief, but it allows you to get to the therapy or get to the strengthening that you want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one thing that I say I, you know, I partner with physical therapists and athletic trainers all the time to make sure that there's a rehabilitation program set out for the patient. Every single patient that comes into my office gets some form of homework. And so sometimes, you know, when I was going through my training, Sometimes that expectation was, especially when you're talking about like uh, quality measure scores and happiness of the patient, they're looking for, um, did they get something when they left? And usually that was a prescription. So I always try to make sure that I give them a exercise prescription, some sort of home exercise program that they're able to do. And so every single time somebody that comes in to see me, 
We uh, send them an email that describes exactly what was kind of going on in layman's terms for them so that they know what their diagnosis was or they know what their dif- the differential about what we're considering is kind of going on with them. And they understand and they are, they're partnering in their treatment plan. And then we have handouts. And I've made thousands of handouts over the years. It's actually, um, I have students that rotate with me every single month. And that's one of their assignments is they have to kind of create a handout. Uh, and I kind of make sure that, uh, you know, it looks like quality information that's put on there. And so that we have exercises to provide to the patient so that it empowers them to start working on it. And then I, a lot of times will say, um, you know, if they need to get in with physical therapy or get in with an athletic trainer to make sure that they're rehabilitating it correctly, I say, um, you know, I was a personal trainer before I was a physician and I used to see people doing things perfectly the wrong way, not perfectly the right way. And that's one of the biggest things that I get people to. Um, and, ex, you know, another professional like a physical therapist, too, is because I say I want to make these are people that have studied the human form and know how to do, make sure that you're doing things perfectly the right way, not perfectly the wrong way. And very often that's the reason that people are coming back to see, you know, it's like if they keep coming back to see us, then we're not doing a very good job. And so I think uh, as a sports medicine physician, you know, our goal is really to kind of see them, figure out what's going on, get a treatment plan assigned to them get them better and then get them out of our clinic and then hopefully just get a referral from them. And that's definitely my business model that I have. How much do you think that the, the culture has, has kept that from happening? And what I mean by that is, is that there's a kind of a back and forth, two sides of the coin where you, and it starts, you know, necessarily with chiropractic where there are people that don't trust the chiropractor. And I, and I, and I say that in any profession, 90% of the people are just trying to get to Friday. 10% of the people are, are curious, they're good at what they do, and if they're not, they're continually pushing forward trying to get better. And it's not the 10% that are the problem. It's always the 90% that makes it bad for everybody. But but what happens is, is that you get a few bad apples that makes it look bad for the entire chiropractic world. It's the same thing in pain management. The pain management doctors don't realize it yet. I mean, they will. Uh, the public doesn't trust them, Right. And, and some people love them and some people love their chiropractor and, and the people who, who have had a bad experience with their chiropractor, like the pain management guys. And the problem, of course, is, is that we're talking about chronic pain. And these people, for the most part, these people aren't going to be happy because getting them completely better is, is difficult. So you're left with, with villains and heroes. And, and in the end, you end up with a group of people who have been ostracized in part right? So the chiropractors of the world feel ostracized and they have good reason to feel that way with some physicians and some physical therapists. So a chiropractor or somebody who does manipulation will send somebody to a a physical therapist or a physician and they'll wonder to themselves whether they're being bad talked to the patient about what they've completed. When in fact, we're all in this together, right? We're all trying to find solutions that fit for a patient. And how much do you think that plays into the reason that you'll see uh, chiropractic doctors who are a little hesitant to send people to anybody else and thereby creating this situation where the patient continually comes back in some cases, not always, but in some cases continually comes back. I mean, how much has our culture created this problem? Okay. So yeah, a lot. lot, Sorry, that was a lot. That was was 75 questions. I'm I'm trying to think of uh, the most streamlined way to kind of answer that and, uh, and making sure that I'm not just upsetting anybody because I, I, I definitely have uh, um, several uh, um, friends, uh, you know, very good friends uh, that are chiropractors. One of my best friends from high school is a chiropractor. Um, and we've had some 
some great discussions over the years. Uh, sometimes we can uh, um, agree. Uh, sometimes we agree to disagree. Um, but, uh, you know, so the chiropractic profession, where did it start? It actually started, uh, the founder of chiropractic medicine was actually a pupil of the founder of osteopathic medicine. And the founder of osteopathic medicine, um, Andrew Taylor Still, uh, he was an MD, uh, and this was kind of during a Civil War kind of time. And he was just pretty much seeing the way that medicine was practiced at the time, and he thought there's got to be a better way. And so he started really studying. He, you know, he was a surgeon, and he really started studying other kind of methods that could be done to be able to help promote healing within the individual. And so that's where he came up with the osteopathic principles, philosophy, and osteopathic manipulative medicine. And uh, the uh, founder um, of uh, chiropractic medicine, again, liked a lot of the manipulation aspects, but didn't necessarily say that they wanted to practice medicine with that. And so uh, he kind of took it in his own direction and, uh, and a little bit of a different philosophy. Um, I, I definitely know, and again, I don't want to step on toes of chiropractors or say anything incorrectly, but uh, um, the chiropractic model very much is a nerve-based model. And so a lot of it focuses on spinal manipulation and nerve flow. Um, uh, Dr. Still, uh, founder of osteopathic medicine, his model really focused on the rule of the artery and uh, the rule of the artery is supreme. And um, uh, something I definitely agree with, uh, you know, we need to get blood flow to tissue to be able to get oxygen, nutrients, healing factors there. We need to be able to kind of move it through our venous and lymphatic systems to remove any kind of waste products, get the, uh, get the blood flowing out of that area so that it can become reoxygenated through our uh, circulatory system. And so uh, a lot of it uh, is focused on ensuring that we're having adequate um, circulatory kind of flow. And so that might be correcting myofascia. That might be correcting uh, any of the uh, um, structural things. So chiropractors are definitely famous for the cracking, popping kind of techniques. And a lot of that was initially kind of learned uh, through uh, Dr. Still's uh, teachings. Uh, and so when I went through my me uh, medical education and learned osteopathic manipulative treatment, um, we do the uh, cracking techniques, which we, what we will call high-velocity, low-amplitude, HVLA techniques. And so kind of bring it up to a barrier. It's a very, um, you know, very uh, quick velocity, very quick, but very low amplitude. So not you're not doing a whole, you know, uh, Steven Seagal ripping their neck to the side, you know, doing that, those type of kind of things. Um, and that will kind of realign the joint, uh, saying that the joint is slightly subluxed. We're not saying dislocated. We're saying it's slightly subluxed, where it's slightly out of place. Um, that's what we're trying to kind of accomplish with that. So DOs and chiropractors learn those HVLA techniques. Um, uh, DOs tend to really focus a lot on the myofascia as well, as far as uh, treating all those fascial things, all that saran wrap that I was talking about, trying to figure out where all those toothpick snags are within the body. And um, I can argue that um, a lot of chiropractors have not had that kind of versatility. A lot of times they will have a massage therapist that works out of their office to address some of those myofascial things. But I think that, you know, the mindset is slightly different. And one thing that, you know, my friend and I can really agree, my chiropractor friend that I was speaking of, is a lot of chiropractic uh, um, uh, teaching is based off of uh, a necessity that the that chiropractic medicine is necessary for the body to be able to function appropriately, kind of from an indefinite kind of standpoint. So, you know, wh whether you need it, you know, once or twice a week or once a month, for the rest of your life, but there is a necessity for that. And my philosophy is figure out what's kind of going on with them, work on what structural dysfunction that they have, make sure that they're working on correcting whatever kind of led them down that proper, that, that improper path that kind of got their body there. 
get the body corrected, get the myofascia corrected, and then they should be good moving forward from there. Now, there's certain cases where, you know, there's athletics uh, um, where they just are, you know, more prone towards kind of getting a re-injury. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's definitely been some science of uh, um, that uh, manipulation can provide optimization uh, pre-sports. And so, uh, Virginia Tech has uh, definitely done a lot of research and uh, um, they, uh, uh, the Virginia College of Osteopathic Medicine is located on campus at Virginia Tech. And uh, I got to rotate there as a resident and uh, they would do pre-competition osteopathic manipulative, uh, manipulative uh, uh, medicine on every single athlete uh, before they would kind of go out and um, and the athletes would swear by it, that it improved their uh, um, ability be, to be able to function well out there. And so that's something that I've really taken with me and I offer it for my athletes. Uh, notably, I, um, I'm a team physician with USA Wrestling and USA Judo. And so uh, when I travel with uh, USA Wrestling, overseas, um, I always have my hands available to be able to, you know, help treat the athlete and the athletes love that I can work on them in a hands-on kind of approach to be able to optimize their body uh, before competition. And then if there's an injury that occurs post-competition or during competition, I have something additional as opposed to just a a medicine, a pill, an anti-inflammatory or something that they might not want to take just because they're worried about um, uh, getting kind of disqualified. So here I go off on another tangent. So, um, no, that was let a me great come back. That was a great tangent. I, I had no idea. You know, I have looked into some of the philosophies of, of chiropractic medicine and some of them, I, I kind of, my eyes go up and I go, what the heck is that? And then, but then it doesn't really matter to me. The philosophies don't matter as much as, as the outcomes. And maybe that's wrong. I mean, maybe I'm thinking about this the wrong way, but I, all I, you know, with me, manipulative medicine, uh, I, I don't even know if that's how you pronounce, if you say manipulative medicine, because that, you know, whatever. But anyway, the, 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 for me, it's, it's kind of this creating more motion through the joint or trying to get the fascia to move better. I mean, it's the outcome rather than whatever the philosophy is, is, would you agree with that? Or would you say that, that no, these, these philosophies matter, not because of, not because of not necessarily because of where we've been, but because of where we're going. I think so kind of going back to, and one thing I, I didn't fully kind of uh, address was the, the kind of polarization that's kind of occurred, you know, ultimately everybody that's a healthcare provider, everybody that's in care of the patient, we should be all on that same team. We should be working together in synchrony and we should be synergistic. And there's definitely just that kind of, I'm going to go my own direction. Um, I'm going to treat over the, here. And then this other team is going to treat over there. And, you know, it's like, and we're just not even going to cross paths. And if a patient crosses that path, then there's just pretty much um, uh, just there, there's bad mouthing of, well, I don't think that you need to see this other person or you don't need to see this other person. Um, I personally, you know, it's like uh, for my practice and my model, um, and I think, you know, probably for many of us that have our own kind of practice, um, there's a lot of marketing that needs to be done. And so I'm out marketing uh, pretty often, uh, making sure that people know what I do. And when I go out to a chiropractor office, I mean, it's very important for them to understand that, you know, it's like I'm a DO that really practices as a DO. And so I think about the body in this way, because many of them, it's more that they don't want people submitted to this traditional Western kind of philosophy of, you know, um, I'm only going to treat the uh, um, treat the pain. I'm going to just cover it up with uh, medicine. I'm just going to be kind of throwing them at this and that there isn't a role for manipulation. And so I always say, if you're, you know, doing manipulation and you feel like you're hitting a plateau with a patient, the patient's not getting better like you would expect, 
then those tend to be patients that I can do other things for. And sometimes it is my own version of manipulation. And I always make sure they're cool with that. And I try to get on the phone with them. I say, hey, this patient that you sent to me to be evaluated for platelet-rich plasma, I think that actually I could do this model of osteopathic manipulation that would be very beneficial for them. I don't want to step on your toes because you're doing manipulation. Is it all right if I do that? And I just try to make sure that we have that kind of, you know, that again, that synergy that we're partnering together, that I'm not antagonizing them. I'm not saying that what they're doing is wrong. I'm saying what I can do is maybe a little bit different, but in the same kind of philosophy of the same or the same endpoint of we're trying to get our patient better. And so um, that's the way that I really try to kind of partner with the chiropractors. Um, and I think the way that you think is very much that same kind of philosophy that they would like to be able to kind of hear about. Because just traditionally, they hear, I'm going to send to this doctor, the doctor's going to say, oh, you're seeing a chiropractor, and then they're just going to think bad about it. And they're going to say, no, you don't need to be going to see them again. And um, so I, but at the same time, I mean, granted, there's bad physicians, there's bad chiropractors, there's bad, there's bad everything. That's right. And so it's really about making sure that you can identify who you are, what you're able to do uniquely, and how you're able to kind of get your patients well or seek wellness within themselves. And how does it does it line up with what they're trying to do? And if you know you find that it's a you know it's a you know another physician, if it's a chiropractor that doesn't align with your kind of principles uh, as far as what the goals are with your patients, then it's not going to be real. It's that's not going to be a match made in heaven, no matter what you really try to kind of do. And uh, so, I mean, do I partner well with every single chiropractor I come into contact with? Absolutely not, but. I definitely have found, um, you know, uh, you know, a niche within of uh, um, chiropractors that we see very much eye to eye. Uh, we don't step on each other's toes. Um, if they want to continue on and they feel like the, um, you know, more of a routine kind of chiropractic manipulation is able to help, then then great. Um, when I was doing my um, uh, osteopathic manipulative medicine fellowship, uh, um, uh, predoctorally, we would sometimes do some different educational things. And one of the guys that was doing the uh, fellowship with me came from a family of chiropractors. And uh, he had amazing hands coming into medical school already. And um, I, what I always just joke about is he had like, I, you know, of the group of us, I always said he had, even though I'm the, the one now that does the most manipulative medicine uh, of the, our group, he had this, these amazing hands. And then he went into radiology. And so, uh. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, oh, are you even like touching people anymore? And so uh, uh, he's and he's in my area here still. And so I give him a hard time sometimes. But I mean, he's he was very gifted with it. But he's actually very good about saying how he applies the osteopathic principles as a radiologist and it allows him to be a more well-rounded uh, um, kind of a holistic approach kind of a radiologist in that sense. But uh, um, kind of going back to what we were saying his uh, sister came in, uh, who was, uh, um, you know, she's a sports chiropractor. So she has had some extra kind of training just in dealing with sports injuries. And I remember, you know, she worked on me specifically, I volunteered, and her effectiveness and how she was able to kind of accomplish what she was doing was tremendous. I mean, her uh, efficiency as being able to try to, you know, treat some of these things on me was really effective. But then when we we're talking about what, what she was doing and how she was doing it, it was just very much, it was kind of like I was hearing a slightly different language that sounds familiar, but I didn't quite understand it. And so there was just, you know, some, there's some slight kind of language differences. So even though we're, you know, ultimately having that same objective, that same goal, it's like you're kind of like, you know, it's like somebody speaking a slightly different language. And uh, I feel like I, um, some chiropractors do partner well with uh, um, physical therapy, but I'd say 
probably most do not. I find that um, a lot of the osteopathic manipulative techniques uh, have sometimes been taught to some physical therapists, uh, things like myofascial release, um, counter strain. Um, uh, those are uh, muscle energy. These are some uh, very common treatments that I employ on a daily basis. And it's something that if I explain to a physical therapist, they know exactly what I'm kind of talking about. If I talk to about it with a chiropractor, they might have a slight idea, but they don't completely principally understand exactly what I'm trying to accomplish with that. And the same as, you know, my allopathic colleagues, some of them have had a little bit of an understanding of that. And, uh, um, you know, some of them uh, need to kind of learn a little bit more about it. When I treat a patient, you know, oftentimes I'll see them when they are in a lot of pain or have been down the path for a long time. And, and, and they'll be seeing a chiropractor or somebody who does manipulation and, and they'll say, how do I, how do I still use this person? And I say, well, my job is to make it so that you can start strengthening. You're hurting bad enough that you're not going to be able to go through the rehab that I want. I think, I think the strengthening you would do would hurt you more. After we do the, after we do treatments, we then send them to physical therapy. And I say, there'll be good days and bad days. On your bad days, you go back and see, you see somebody who can give you pain relief so that we can keep doing strengthening. And the long-term approach for me, I say, you're going to see me every so often. When things get, get so bad that you know nothing, nothing's helping, but really, it's a, it's a strengthening, it's an increase in stability model. And anybody, anybody who can help you continue down that path is on my team, right? And I, but what I don't know, and so there, there was question one, and comment if you want, but what I don't know is the chiropractors or people who do manipulations send me patients. Where am I missing where I should be sending them patients? So question one, what do you think of that first approach? Second question two, where am I missing people that should go, go and see somebody who does, you know, what you do? Okay. And then, and then that question is, you know, it's like, uh, should they see, uh, you know, a DO that's performing OMM or should they see a chiropractor that's doing manipulation? Sometimes it's almost, you know, like, uh, you know, I've, I've seen patients and especially, you know, sometimes our high level athletes, you'll find that they're, you know, they see two different kinds of, I have a deep massage, deep tissue massage therapist. I have a sports therapist uh, or sports kind of a massage therapist. I see physical therapy on this day. I see a chiropractor on this day. I see acupuncture on this day. And it's like, they have all these different kind of people that are just kind of, you know, working with them. But at the same time, I'm like, can we consolidate? Is it, you know, possible? Um, the advantage of seeing somebody that is like, you know, myself is that, you know, it's like you can absolutely consolidate because I can kind of take a look at that whole individual. I can do the myofascial things that the massage therapist would be working on. Um, at the same time, am I a masseuse? Is it meant to be like this, you know, kind of like, oh, it's just the most relaxing thing. And one thing I try to tell my patients when I work on them is like, sometimes my hands are a little bit mean. I have to sometimes be a little bit mean before I can be nice, you know, so I can be nice to you in the long haul. Um, right. So as I'm kind of working on things, I always try to, um, I always try to look at faces, you know, right now with COVID, you know, we have to have the mask over so I can only see their eyes. So I only get one third of the look, but I always say that, um, you know, uh, mouths can lie, but faces can't. And so I'm always looking at their eyes, making sure I'm making it, not making it too uncomfortable as I'm doing anything. And constantly trying to get this kind of verbal feedback. Is that okay? Is that too much? Do you need to back up a couple of degrees? Um, but as far as, okay, so when should you refer to like a DO that does OMT or a chiropractor? Um, and, uh, or if they're send over, when should they be kind of reincorporated? Um, so let's say that, um, I have an MD colleague that wants to send something over to me. So 
they've identified that there's something that's kind of going on with them. We agree that it's not necessarily an operative thing, or maybe it is an operative thing. We want to see, is there going to be a role for manipulation um, in the post-operative or perioperative kind of period? Um, these are all things that I can you know, potentially help or you know, potentially a chiropractor that understands the pathology and the, uh, um, and the procedure that's going to be kind of performed and understands the rehabilitation principles that's going to be surrounding that. Um, and uh, there's a lot of physical therapists that are, um, you know, very uh, talented in manipulation also. A lot of them have learned through courses of, uh, you know, from uh, DOs like Dr. Jones uh, that did uh, counter strain. Um, and so, uh, you know, you know, trigger points and, uh, um, uh, you know, Dr. Uh, Travell and Simons that kind of came up with those are something that is uh, very much incorporated within osteopathic training, but uh, very much uh, physical therapists are aware of those type of things as well. And they have myofascial trigger point kind of therapy that can be kind of performed. And that's something that I routinely kind of do within my practice as well. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out the best way of kind of saying, if, if you're identifying, okay, I've done my part, they need to have other things that is kind of really addressing, uh, you know, either a structural, if there's like a structural pathology where it seems like, you know what, you're feeling on their back, that really kind of hurts right over there. You know from your examination and if imaging, if necessary, that there isn't anything, path, you know, from a um, you know significant kind of pathology that would be kind of ruling out doing a manipulate a manipulative kind of treatment to that area. Um, and when I say that, I'm like you're not concerned about like an infection or a tumor, or something more serious that's going on. Then that's and you're like, well, I don't really have anything else that I can offer other than maybe kind of uh, giving them a prescription for a pain medicine, essentially just to kind of cover it up then that's where I think there's the role of sending over to somebody that's able to kind of do manipulation. So in a sense, it's, you know, one of the things I say that I offer within my practice is um, uh, non-opioid based pain management. And so, you know, patients are trying to find ways to avoid opioids. If they go to see a pain medicine physician, you know, um, some, you know, sometimes they are put on an opioid kind of prescription. Um, I think that many pain physicians are getting away from that, but then they only have so many things that they're, able to kind of do to be able to help them out. And so uh, being able to kind of do the uh, osteopathic manipulative treatment, or if they find a chiropractor that's very skilled at being able to kind of treat that area, that can also flow well with other things. So if you're getting them into physical therapy and they're working, but they are hitting plateaus, um, then maybe that's where it would be appropriate to see a chiropractor or a DO that is, you know, skilled in manipulation. Um, as far as finding a DO that's skilled in manipulation, it's something that all of us, so anybody that has DO after their name has been trained in osteopathic manipulative medicine. Um, this percentage has gone significantly down over the years and years and years of, uh, you know, how many DOs are actually using it within their practice. Um, it's something that when I was a pre-med student and I was, uh, um, so, you know, I was, uh, um, I, I went to the University of Texas in Austin. And I was a kinesiology major there. And I, um, it was an awesome major for me. Um, and I really realized everything I was learning about in my major, um, you know, biomechanics and exercise physiology and anatomy and physiology. Um, I was like, this is what I want to use. This is what I want to do professionally. And um, I was able to shadow um, uh, my father's uh, um, internal medicine physician. He's also a DO. He just retired. He was the dean of the uh, Tro University College of Osteopathic Medicine over in uh, Vallejo, California, uh, for the last 15 years of his career. And uh, he he's coming back to Texas over here because uh, we went. You know, we have four grandkids over here, so we win the grandkid war. Um, and so we kind of drove, got my parents to come back to Texas. But I um, so I come from this. You know, uh, I'm a second generation DO. 
my dad was able to set me up with some, uh, you know, different uh, physicians when I, um, I was, you know, considering medicine. And um, so I worked with a CMNR doc, a, a physiatrist um, that was uh, an MD. And I got to see kind of uh, both inpatient and outpatient medicine from the physiatry standpoint. I got to work with a DO orthopedic surgeon who I didn't really see necessarily a distinctiveness of how they kind of practice. And I also uh, got to work with an MD orthopedic surgeon. And then I got to work with a DO sports medicine physician who did use a lot of osteopathic manipulative treatment in their practice. And I was like, I saw how the patient was able to come. I saw the outpatient experience uh, um, in all those different settings. And the one that I really, that appealed to me was, hey, the patients that came in to see the DO sports medicine physician, they were leaving that office feeling better. And then they were coming back saying that they were improving where I just saw these plateaus and needs for other kind of procedures and imaging and all, all the other things from some of these other doctors. And that's where it really kind of said, you know what, this is something I really want to embrace and learn a lot more about. And so when I came into uh, um, you know, my freshman year at uh, Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine, I was very excited to learn the OMM. And I definitely became one of the uh, champions of it within my class, um, practicing it on a lot. Um, you know, my uh, now ex-wife, I worked on her all the time, her family, uh, my classmates. And so I, I definitely became one of those go-to kind of people uh, um, even before doing my pre-doctoral fellowship. But kind of coming back to it, um, at this point now, a lot of DOs, unfortunately, um, you know, they kind of go through the first two years. And then after, uh, once they're out in their clinical years, uh, in the years three and four, um, and then once they're out in residency, a lot of them aren't really kind of being shown how to implement it within practice. And if it's not really taught within that scope of their clinical training, it's very hard for them to be able to kind of know when is it appropriate to kind of implement it. And that's where we've seen such uh, um, a decrease in the amount of DOs that are actually practicing with osteopathic manipulative treatment. So it used to be, hey, if you had DO on your coat, then, okay, you know how to do OMT. And now it's like, do you know how to do OMT? And so it's, it's hard to find a DO that actually is skilled at this. And so sometimes that's where, um, you know, it's like uh, um, there are DOs that have chiropractors in their clinic because they know manipulation could be beneficial. They haven't carried it with them to know how to make sure that they're still doing it because it's not a bike that you can just kind of hop right back on. And so some of them, you know, embrace and have a chiropractor available in their clinic. Some of them find physical therapists that do a lot of manipulation and they're familiar with, okay, um, they're doing muscle energy, they're doing counter strain, they're doing these things that I'm familiar with. And so I feel comfortable kind of referring over to them because I know that they have that as a treatment modality in their head, in their armamentarium to be make it available to their patients. So very long way of kind of answering your question as far as how do I uh, um, kind of know when to kind of refer it over there. Easiest quick answer after my entire kind of, uh, um, <laughs> kind of running all over the place is plateaus. When you see these little plateaus, pain, whether it be a pain plateau and you don't have another kind of treatment that's going to be able to facilitate their therapy further. Um, if they feel like, you know, now if, if they're getting any kind of treatment that allows them to continue to improve, allows them to be more active. And I always like to call it my recovery curve. They're starting at a certain point and we need to get, get them back to their real less realistic 100% of functionality um, that they would like to try to get to. So if they want to be able to get back to riding a bike or going jogging, is it realistic for us to be able to get them to that 100%? And then um, if we can prescribe the right kind of treatment plan, whether they're doing that through a home exercise plan, whether they're doing that with a you know formalized physical therapist or athletic trainer, as, lar as long as they are moving in that direction, I'm good. But then if they start hitting plateaus and 
you know, it's like I am just kind of I'm stuck at 75 percent. I can't get over this 25 percent hump. That's where we see if we need something else. And that's where I introduce things like uh, manipulation. Now, I have other things that I can do. I do plenty of trigger points. I do plenty of different kinds of injections. I, I, I do plenty of, uh, you know, corticosteroid injections. But I've definitely found that since I kind of moved to my out of network model where I really have that time to be able to sit with the patient let them know what's kind of going on and uh, introduce them to all the different kind of treatments that we do because I, uh, um, uh, and we could totally talk about this on a different kind of thing, but uh, um, very often when we have a limited amount of time to be able to speak with the patient, uh, we just have, and especially if insurance is kind of saying you have to kind of go through this hierarchy of, you know, you haven't tried this, you haven't tried that, that starts altering our treatment and our clinical behaviors as far as decision-making for our patients. And so I can pretty much throw all those things out the, the window and say, here's our options. This is, uh, you know, it's like, uh, here's the risks of doing this. Here's the, you know, risks of doing this. Here's the benefits of doing these. And so I can have that open discussion. And OMT is very often that path of least resistance where it's non-invasive. It can be performed typically on the same day. And uh, the, uh, um, the risk uh, involved with it is extremely, uh, extremely small, especially in the hands of a skilled, you know, individual performing it. Right. And, you know, for me, I feel like as I've moved down this musculoskeletal path, what you would call, um, you know, a DO path, I have become more and more of a snob when it comes to physical therapy. I have expectations with physical therapists, very high expectations. I have the same thing with, with uh, massage therapists. I have high expectations with people who do trigger points, but I haven't established expectations with, you know, manipulative medicine. And part of the reason is, is because I don't think I've ever really dug enough into it. And if, and as a curious pain practitioner, I should, it's just, it's been difficult because it, it feels like I don't know enough. And then I, what I, what I end up doing is saying, Okay, listen, you know, if you go see this chiropractor, you or somebody who does manipulation, you really should give it six weeks to see if we're seeing improvement. Uh, past six weeks, you know, are we just doing it to make ourselves feel better or not? And, and I feel like that is so simplistic and that is not necessarily in the best interest of my patients because obviously there's, I mean, professional teams are using it. US, USA Wrestling and Judo is using, you know, you know this, uh, this model and... And I feel like I should I should understand this better so that I can help my patients better. Yeah, I, I think also just sometimes, you know, so how do you better understand how I made when I was back with the orthopedic surgery department? I didn't get any referrals for manipulation um, until I actually worked on those surgeons themselves. And so, you know, it's like I, I was, you know, sometimes after clinic, I'm sitting doing charts, you know, our, our hip surgeons over there. And I see them just kind of, you know, walking a little bit with a limp. I go, what's going on? They're like, ah, my sciatica is acting up. I go, you want me to work on you? And they're like, ah, I don't know. And I was like, and I have to kind of sell myself a little bit. And I have to tell them, let me try this. There's really no risk of, as far as doing this. Let me do this. And then I get done with them. And they're like, holy crap. Why have I not been coming to you? I've been dealing with this for like three months. And, and you got me feeling better this much right now. And I said, now that said, you know, it's like, um, it might, you know, if I can, I always say it's like, if I get to somebody in two weeks after something that happened, there's a good chance I could be one and done. Sometimes it takes a handful of times to be able to kind of get that myofascia, get the structural dysfunction to be able to kind of really feel itself back into place. And that is where it also couples with doing the right kind of therapy. But at the same time, they're like, oh my God, I just feel so much better right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then they start sending me patients. 
because they understand better why, you know, what it is that I can do. And so sometimes it's, you know, going in to see somebody, you know, in a, um, you know, professional kind of setting and saying, this is what I have that's kind of going on and understanding. And at the same time, it's like, that's where you kind of learn, learn, okay, you know what? Didn't really like this person's uh, kind of approach or no, this was a pretty, you know, prof- uh, this was pretty amazing. And so I, I've definitely found that really helpful. Um, when I was a uh, um, intern at my uh, residency um, in my downtime, uh, like kind of, I get done seeing a patient on a floor and then I would work on the nurses all the time on all the different floors. And guess who got less for, you know, I got, I always tell my students, you know, if, if nothing else during your intern year, if you want to maintain your own skills, work on the nurses because do you know who got the fewest four in the morning kind of pages for this renewal of this or this renewal of that? And it was me. And they're like, why do you get that? And I go, you know, I put, I invested the time. And at the same time, those nurses understood occupathic manipulation. They understood better. It was an occupathic hospital, but none of them really knew what a DO was. What was the distinction between a DO and an MD? And so it gave me an opportunity to kind of talk to them about that a little bit more. So they became more educated. They became patients. They knew when to kind of suggest it to the attending that, hey, maybe we should consult the OMM service. And, you know, while we had an OMM service at the hospital that was mainly outpatient, but there was inpatient consults available. And that was something that I did as a fellow. Um, uh, when I did my OMM fellowship, we did inpatient consultations. And so a lot of it has to do with education. And so, but if the attending doesn't know when it's appropriate, and I can say that, you know, I, it's easier for me to sell a lot of my MD colleagues on this because, uh, unfortunately, you know, some of the DOs that have uh, gone through their manipulative medicine training, they're some of the biggest skeptics because one thing that I say that gets in the way in our profession is some of our most gifted people with their hands are some of the least gifted with their mouths. They can do just magic with their hands, but when they're trying to explain it, they can't really explain it on this celestial level. It's just, you know, it just, they sound crazy. And so um, one thing that, I, you know, coming back to my, you know, my kinesiology kind of background and biomechanics and exercise physiology, um, if I can't explain something from a biomechanical basis and rationalize it in my head of what I'm trying to affect uh, with them structurally, then I don't employ that treatment because I can't wrap my hand, my head and my hands around it. And so that's where I really try to um, provide the education uh, and making sure that people really understand what it is that they're trying to accomplish. Because if you do it with purpose, as opposed to just doing it, you know, just, uh, um, just because I, uh, so that's where you become a true clinician and physician as you perform it, as opposed to a technician who just knows how to kind of do this cookbook kind of recipe to be able to do it. No, I'm a chef. I can kind of do whatever kind of ingredients I feel like is going to work for this patient in particular. And so uh, um, that's another reason that there's some DOs that just very much um, aren't enthusiastic about OMT is because they had bad experiences within it. And so, um, you know, as I taught over the years and what, you know, I still have students that come through my clinic, I always try to make sure that they can see the value of it, see how I'm explaining it to my patients, make sure that they feel capable of being able to explain it so that they, because uh, I say, if you're going to be a surgeon and you can't tell me what you're going to be doing in the surgery, that doesn't matter if you're the best surgeon in this kind of specific case in the world, patient's not going to have faith in you. And we know that if the patient doesn't believe it mentally and spiritually, then physically, they're not going to do as well. They're not going to have as good an outcome. And so just like any type of procedure, we need to be able to make sure that you explain it appropriately so that the person that you're going to be performing said procedure on understands what's going to be happening to them. And not a lot of DOs are very talented at that aspect as well. 
Um, there are plenty that I've learned from. I have several mentors who have just taught me very well and have given me some of these spiels that I've been able to modify for myself. Um, but I, um, I feel like, uh, again, my background in uh, um, you know, personal training and kinesiology really helped kind of uh, set me down that path that I really can understand and uh, rationalize what I'm going to be able to do to um, be able to treat people with it. Very good. Yeah, I, I've often said, you know, that as clinicians, what we need to do is we, sh- we need to not care how a person gets better, right? If, if they go and dance on a magic VCR in Mexico playing uh, the Menudo soundtrack or Menudo, Menudo album, <laughs> I don't really care. I just, I just want people to feel better so that we can, we can work on, you know, stability and motion. And I think, I think that's great. Uh, this has been a really good conversation. I come out of this wanting to know more about how, how this fits into my practice uh, it answers some questions, but it also creates, it creates more. And I think that's, I think that's perfect. I think that's wonderful. And I hope that, I hope that people listening have tons of questions, right? And I hope that they get back to us with these questions because, and, and even uh, to you, right? So I, I would first, first and foremost, hope that they get back in touch with this podcast so that we can, we can create answers or at least try to find the answers. But if they want to get in touch with you, how does someone get in touch with you? Sure. So um, I try to be pretty social social media savvy um, with my uh, practice, Motion is Medicine. So our handle is at Motion is Med. And so we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. Um, if you just like to find me on uh, LinkedIn, um, uh, just uh, Daniel Clearfield Dio on there. Um, my website is Motion is Medicine DFW, as in Dallas, Fort Worth.com. So motion is medicine, DFW.com. My uh, um, office number is uh, 817-900-3539. And then if uh, people just want to be able to reach out to me um, you know, directly, um, my email address is, I, I wish it was a little bit simpler, but it's uh, dclearfield, spelled like it sounds, at motionismedicinedfw.com. So our website uh, tagline there. I uh, wish that was a little bit shorter, but it's a, it's a long, but it's not it's okay. hard to figure it's a, it out. It's, it's all going to be in the show notes. It's all going to be in the show notes. So if people want to click on uh, show notes on our website or uh, wherever they want to find it, we're going to have uh, as good of show notes as we can, you know, as, as much information as, as, he, as you will uh, uh, supply. So thank you very much. This has been a fabulous conversation. And, um, you know, uh, I'm anxious to learn more about it. So thank you. No, I, I, and again, I'm so thankful and uh, appreciative of uh, you having me on here. And the second I started, I heard that you were having this podcast. I was excited about it because, um, again, I've been reading your posts and uh, just kind of known you, even if you haven't known me for for years. And I, um, I've been in implementing a lot of things into my philosophy and treatment plan and incorporating that for OMT. So you have actually improved my OMT, whether you've realized that or not. And so. <laughs> Again, it's 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 interesting how just uh, um, just you know even if you're not performing it yourself, how you can uh, um, influence a philosophy as far as structurally how I'm kind of looking at the patient, looking at activation patterns, and trying to figure out where dysfunction is that might be impairing that activation pattern and allowing uh, facilitating the body's ability to try to heal itself. And so I've been using your advice uh, um, for years as well. So again, it's been. Uh, a true honor just to be able to kind of, you know, be on here and talk at, at the same level as you or almost at the same level as you and uh, um, and be able to talk about just a, a big part of my practice, a big part of my philosophy as far as how I treat my patients. Well, and I appreciate it. That's that's kind words. And I think that our patients are our 
people listening are better for this conversation. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We greatly appreciate your download and taking the time to listen. Please go to whatever source you normally get your podcast from and subscribe. Also, visit bodyguitar.com for show notes and to learn about our clinic. Living longer is not near as important as living better. These episodes are meant to advance the goal of living better. One of the best and hardest ways to achieve this goal is to pray for your enemies and forgive those that hurt you. Life is about relationships. Build them. Until next time, body guitar practitioners, performers, and tuners, get your body in tune. This is Dr. Sean Wheeler on Spine and Body Podcast, and I will see you on the next episode. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare studies, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to the podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their health providers for any such condition.